Well, good morning, saints. It is an honor and a pleasure to be before you to open the Word of God together. And so this morning, we are continuing our look in the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, we are in chapter 1. We're looking at verses 8 through 11. What a blessed thing it is to gather here, uh, to be able to meet and worship together. We get to serve a risen Savior, that we get to honor the one true King, Jesus Christ, who is not only our hope, but the hope of all the world. And so this week we continue our book, or look through the book of 1 Timothy. Last week we were in verses 3 through 7, and we saw this charge that Paul has given to Timothy, his son in the faith. It's this charge to not allow certain persons to teach in Ephesus. That there was these false teachers that would creep into the congregation. These people would come into their midst and be focused on endless genealogies. They'd be focused on myths. They would come and they would teach distractions. Paul also mentioned that they would come desiring to be teachers of the law. without understanding of what they're saying and what they're doing. And they would do so with confidence. And so we know that these false teachers, they bring a gospel that does not save. They bring a gospel that is perverted. The false teacher is one who teaches contrary to what Scripture teaches. They pervert the gospel. They twist the person and nature of Christ they teach in a way that sweeps the listener away from the solid foundation that is God's Word and into places that do not find their roots in the Gospel or in God's Word. We saw last week Brett mentioned Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses along with many other distractions and false teachings. These are false religions that teach doctrine that is contrary to the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. So our context this morning as we dive into these verses is that Paul is giving this warning, this charge to Timothy that he must prevent this certain group of people from teaching that they were leading the people astray with damnable doctrines. So this is Paul's charge. And so with that, let us read our verses for this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-11. through 11. This is the word of the one true living God. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is the reading of the Lord's Word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning grateful and thankful for the great abundance and knowledge and wisdom that you provide to us in your Word. 
Lord, I pray now for the saints before me that you would feed them and fill them, Lord. I pray for your grace that as we get into this text, Lord, it is a hard word, but I pray that it be received joyfully, Lord. I pray as your messenger, you would allow me to deliver it gracefully. Lord, that you would be glorified, that your name would be high and lifted up, and that we would trust in you, Lord, in all things. God, it is a terrifying thing to stand in the pulpit, to preach your word because of how holy you are, Lord. And so I pray now that I would decrease and that Christ would increase. I pray, Lord, that you would guard me from error and that by your Spirit you would teach the flock this morning. We pray these things to your name, the one and truly name that's above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we approach these verses this morning, I want us to have this one question at the forefront of our minds. Paul says that we know that the law is good if we use it lawfully. So the question I want at the forefront of our minds is how do we use the law lawfully? This question is going to be our center point or the reference point in which we go back to. And as we explore this question, as we begin to answer this question, other questions will arise and branch off from it. Such as, what is the purpose of the law? And is the law relevant to us as believers today? So Paul has just finished telling Timothy in verse 7 that these teachers would be desiring to teach the law and yet would have no understanding of the law and they would teach falsely with confidence. This problem here in Ephesus sounds familiar to the uh, problem found in Galatia. The problem that we see throughout first century Christianity, the Judaizers. Those who taught that Christ and the Mosaic Law were necessary for salvation. It was this mixture of grace through Christ and works through the law. So Paul is writing this letter to dear Timothy in warning of these teachers who teach the law unlawfully, and yet they do so with confidence. We even see Paul in the book of Galatians, he confronts Peter in Galatians chapter 2 about falling into this trap of Judaizing the Gentiles. We see the account in Galatians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, who is Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? See, this is the kind of love that I hope and pray for us as a body that we would be on guard for the sake of the purity of the gospel of grace and desire to see one another standing in doctrinal purity. You think of how many today would see this account and think, wow, Paul, why are you being so harsh? How could you confront Peter publicly into his face? But we must recognize that what Paul did to Peter was an act of love 
and a desire to keep pure the Gospel. What Paul did in confronting Peter was an expression of his love for Peter. It was not anger or hatred for Peter. It was love for Peter that led him to call him out publicly into his face. It is a true brother that will not allow you to continue on in your sins, but will call you out in them. Saints, it is the coward who would let Peter continue on in error. That, dear saints, is an act of hatred for the brethren and a disgrace to the Gospel. To see a brother or sister in sin and do nothing is to hate them. Back to 1 Timothy. Paul is addressing Timothy and saying, hey, there's this problem taking place in Ephesus. These Judaizers have crept in and they are teaching the law and they are teaching it unlawfully. Look at verse 7. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Verse 8, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And so Paul creates this sort of tension here between verses 7 and verse 8. He says on one hand there's these false teachers and they desire to teach the law. And then in verse 8 he says the law is good. And so we have this tension in the Scriptures a warning that, hey, Timothy, look out for these teachers. They desire to teach the law. And so the reader might think, oh, well, the law must be bad. And in Paul, to confront this in verse 8, says the law is good. So now we've come to this place where we've got to reconcile. What is Paul getting at here? If these teachers are teaching the wrong things and yet they are teaching the law, what's taking place here? Paul is talking about how these teachers come teaching the law and then again do not cause the reader to despise the law. He goes right into it and says, the law is good. So here we see that there is a right and wrong understanding of the law and how it is to be taught. I think this is important for us in this day and age. There are so many that would say there is no absolutes. There is no right or wrong way. And yet Paul here is giving us evidence that there is a pure way to teach. That there is a right way to use the law. In a day and age, a postmodern era that we live in where there is no absolutes, everything is all your opinion. Everything is arbitrary. Paul is laying forward for us a correct way and a wrong way. So now we begin to answer our question, how do we use the law lawfully? Well, I believe to answer that question, we must first start with, what is the law for? What is the law for? Again, dear saints, we live in a day and age where so many who claim the name of Christ have a great disdain for the law of God. You bring up God's law to some who profess Christ. It's that Old Testament rough nastiness of God to them. 
They believe that there's this great separation from the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. The Old Testament God is this wrathful, vengeful God who has all these laws and all these rules. That the Old Testament law has nothing for us and some would even say that it is cruel. There's an extreme of this view called antinomianism which basically believes that because Christ died for our sins, there's no longer a need for obedience to the law. Dear saints, this belief is permeated out through Christendom here in America. This idea that the law is no longer good. And as with most things, there's an opposite extreme to this view. A view which is called theonomy. Where the proponents believe that the judicial law given to the Israelites is binding today on all nations and peoples. The law of Israel is to be the law of all the nations. This view prioritizes the Old Testament revelation over the New Testament and it's wrought with inconsistencies. And just like the issue Paul is bringing forth to Timothy, this view can lead to modern day Judaizers. The very thing that Paul is concerned about in Ephesus. And so just as with Timothy here 2,000 years ago in Ephesus, in our modern context, we have this right and wrong way to use the law in our current context. From the one extreme of antinomianism all the way over to this other extreme theonomy. The extremes go both ways, but we know that Paul here is saying the law is good if it's used lawfully. So you know, we have extremes, but Paul's saying, hey, there's a way to get to the right way and the right use of the law. I believe that what Paul is getting to here is vital for our understanding of not only the law, but more importantly of the gospel. So back to our question, what is the law for? Romans 7 verse 7 says, what then shall we say? The law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So what is the law for? The law reveals to us our sin. Paul says there very clearly in Romans 7, I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. It is the law of God that reveals to us our failures to live up to the holiness of God. This here is the problem that Timothy would face as he addresses the Judaizers. They so desired to continue with their interpretation of the law and their understanding of the law. They wanted to circumcise the Gentiles. They wanted to hold them accountable to all of the Mosaic law. All of the things that for so many generations they had failed at, they wanted to now press upon Gentile believers. And again, it's so easy for us in our current context with 
all the scripture that we have now to just point the finger and say, those silly Judaizers. But do we not have the same pridefulness that they did? See, it is pride that drives the Judaizers. It is the pride of men the desire to follow the law in order to gain something on their own. They want to have some reference point, some area in which they could say, I did that for my salvation. I followed those laws and because of that, I have added to my justification. To view the law in this way is to completely miss the point of the law. Saints, the law points us to the holiness of God. It is in the law of God that we must reckon ourselves before a holy and perfect God. It is the law of God that lays us bare and says, none is good, no, not one. It is the law of God that says, there is none righteous, none who seek after me, All have been led astray. It's the law of God that says to us we have missed the mark. We have not lived up to the standard of perfect holiness. The law of God says to us to miss but one point. To fall short in but one area is to eternally condemn yourself. It is in the law that we see the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of God's wrath. The holiness of God that one act of sin cannot be found in His presence without judgment. We see the seriousness of sin found in this that one lie, one moment of coveting your neighbor's possessions, one instance of lust or hatred is cause for the full justice and fury of a holy and righteous God to fall upon you. That one white lie could damn you to hell. One transgression of the law, one thought that does not conform to the purity of God is an eternally punishable offense. My dear saints, the law reveals to us the white-hot holiness of God Almighty. That holiness that when Isaiah was in his presence, said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. The thrice holy God who then commanded the angel to take the coal and place it upon his lips so that he could dwell and be in that presence of the holy God. And so we have these false teachers, these Judaizers who are coming in with the law 
That's why Paul is so concerned about these false teachers in Ephesus. These men who desire to teach the law but are completely ignorant of it. They have no right understanding. They for generations have believed that the law was to lead to their justification. They hold and they cling to it so tightly because of pride. A desire to add something to their justification because for us as fallen sinners, we can't fully reconcile that God would do it all. That Christ would take the full weight of our sins upon His shoulders. But if they had understood the law, they would have known that the law condemns them. This is why we must today have a right understanding of the law. For by works of the law, no man will be justified. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in but one point has become guilty of it all. One point, saints. One measure of failure and the full weight of the law comes bearing down on you. Now look with me to verse 9 here in 1 Timothy. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers. Understanding this, Paul is revealing to us now the lawful use of the law. And he simply says, the law is not laid down for the just, but it is for the lawless and disobedient. So if you get only one thing this morning, I pray and hope that you grab and hold on to this very tightly. If you are in Christ this morning, if the law has already laid you bare before a holy God, and has led you to the Son, then the law has done what it is supposed to do in your life. The condemnation that comes from the law is removed if you are in Christ. Because Paul is saying here, the law is not for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. If the law has brought you to repentance and faith in Christ, if it is caused you to cast aside any notion, any idea that you can justify yourself before the Holy God, if it has removed any self-righteous idea from your mind that you can do this on your own, then the law has finished its work with you in that way. It has brought you to Christ. If you stand justified this morning by faith alone in Christ alone, then this law is no longer bearing down on you. Amen. Praise God. See, Paul is saying the law is not for the just. If you're resting in Christ's perfect obedience, the law is no longer a taskmaster to you. It has done what it's supposed to, namely bringing you to Christ. Christ. 
to the perfect law obeyer, the one who did not sin, who in every way fulfilled the law. Now we're going to see Paul here begin to take us through the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. The law is not for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. Paul here begins to allude to the first four commandments that all have to deal with our relationship to God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no idols. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And you shall keep the Sabbath day. See, saints, it is the lawless and disobedient who seek to serve other gods. Who seek to serve idols and fashion for themselves golden calves. They desire to teach a law-based righteousness. They bow down to the idol of the self-made man. And so the law is good because it points to us and shows us our sin. The law is also good as a guardian. It reveals idolatry. It reveals the false worship of idols. The law points to us and removes any grounds for self-justification. Any grounds for us to say, I did this. I kept the law or as I'm sure we all are so familiar with this today, the response from those that say, I'm a good person. Asking someone, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? And they reply with, well, I'm a mostly good person. On the day of judgment, there will be a great multitude who stand before the risen Savior and say those very words, I was a mostly good person. I never killed anyone. I never did this. I never did that. In fact, look at all the good that I have done. Look at all the people I have helped. Look at all the people I have looked over. They will stack their works as high as the sky. They will appeal to a law that they've created to themselves. A standard that they've created to themselves. A standard that is apart from the law. And on that day, Christ will say to them, Depart from Me, you workers of lawlessness. For you, seeking to be justified by the law, have been condemned by it. Notice that in Matthew 7. He says, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But who's he talking to? He's talking to folks that were Jews. They had the law. And so Christ is saying, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Because they had the law and they did not understand it correctly. Continue on there in 1 Timothy. Paul says the law is for the unholy and the profane. Those who with their mouths curse the very one who gives them breath and life. Brett was talking about how God has shown us such mercy that the blood runs in our streets in this country of the unborn. 
God shows such mercy to the profane. And the fact that He gives them the very breath in their lungs which is used to curse Him, to profane His name. Think of that. I'm sure you've encountered someone who's just so offensive in what their words are about who God is. So offensive in their attack against the Gospel. So profane in how they use the name of our Lord. And God Himself in His mercy has supplied every breath that comes out of their mouth. He right now is sustaining their beating heart. That Their heart does not beat if His Word does not go forward and say, beat heart. The mercy of this God that He would not crush them in an instant. The mercy of this God who did not look upon us and crush us in an instant when we so deserve to be crushed. Saints, one miss of the mark of God's law and we deserve His eternal punishment and yet He's shown us so much mercy. So this law is for the unholy and profane. And there's a day coming when all of this stored up wrath will be poured out upon the godless and the unholy. The law is not laid down for the just who are in right relationship with God through Christ. The law succeeded in bringing them to Christ. The law is for those who are outside of Christ. For those who in such wickedness and evil deny the God that they know exists. The law is for those who have created for themselves a false Christ such as Mormonism or the irreverent view of Christ as in Islamic belief that Christ is just a prophet, a teacher. The law of God is for the Jehovah's Witness who say that Jesus Christ is the Archangel Michael. The law of God is for the atheist who suppresses the truth because they love their sins so dearly. The law of God is for the agnostic who said it is not possible to know if God exists. The law of God is for the New Age mother who says, love, peace be with you, and yet has no understanding of the God who is love, of the God who brings peace. The law of God is for the Buddhist and the pagan and everyone else who would seek to be justified outside of the merits and working of Christ Jesus. Saints, we often get this idea that the law of God is for the really wicked people. The law of God is for the Adolf Hitlers, for the Joseph Goebbels. The law of God is for the Putins, the Saddam Husseins. Your saints, the law of God is for the godless soccer mother. The law of God is for the irreverent child in your house. The law of God is for your neighbor who does not believe in Christ. The law of God is for all of those who do not bow the knee to Christ. To sum it up, the law is for anyone who has not been born again by the Spirit of God. Paul doesn't just stop there. Now he continues on. He says, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, 
We know the commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother. He then says, for murderers, again, we know the commandment, you shall not murder. It's for the sexually immoral, those who practice homosexuality. And again, we know the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. It's for the enslavers, again, the commandment, you shall not steal. It's for the liars and the perjurers, again, the commandment, you shall not bear false witness. Notice here with me, dear saints, the weight of the law. It goes to every avenue of sin and it shines the bright light of righteousness of God upon it. Anywhere sin would try to hide, the law reveals. It shines the light of the pure holiness of God upon it. The law leaves no room for escape. There is not a single way for fallen man to satisfy but one of these commandments. Like James said, if you keep the whole law and fail in one, you have failed in all. The law says to man, there is no escape from the just judgment you deserve and your only hope is a righteousness found not in your own, but in the perfect work of Christ. You see, dear saints, our hope is not just found in Christ's death on the cross, but also in His life on this earth, whereby He lived a perfect life according to the law. He never fell into idolatry. He never murdered. He never lied. He never committed adultery. He never stole anything. Christ never sinned. Perfect in His obedience. Jesus Christ never sinned, and it's that perfect obedience that now is applied to you by faith in Him. Jesus' own words in Matthew 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Christ's perfect obedience is the fulfillment of the law. Now if you will, look at me at the very uh, end of verse 10. And Paul says, "...and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine." We again come to our question for this morning, how do we use the law lawfully? We use the law to determine what is contrary to sound doctrine. I'll give you a quick example. If you were to be in a conversation with a Hindu, for example, and they tell you that there's this plurality of gods, there's millions of gods to be exact, how then would you use the law lawfully in that situation? Look to the commandments, saints. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no strange gods before me. It is the law that allows us to purify our doctrine. It gives us sound doctrine and it gives us an apologetic, a response to those who would come against us. Those who would claim something contrary to what God's Word has said. How do we use the law lawfully? We look to the commandments. 
and we understand them rightly in accordance with the whole of Scripture. You see, it is the law, when understood rightly, helps us to recognize false teachers. And that's what Paul's getting at with his charge to Timothy. He says, you're going to know them by their fruits. You're going to know them by what they teach and what is then produced by their teaching. Paul in his charge to Timothy reminds him that the law is the great exposer of sin. Does what is being taught lead to idolatry? Let it be removed. Does what is being taught lead to sexual immorality? Let it be removed. And if you're saying to yourself this morning, is this still relevant today? The answer is yes. Paul is giving this charge to Timothy. Look at the fruit of what they're teaching. Look at what's coming out of this. I think in our current context, it's easy for us to spot the false religions. Like we look at Mormonism or Islam, and those are kind of easy to reconcile that they're, you know, their fruits off, that they believe in a, a wrong Jesus. But what do we do about those churches that claim to be Christian? The law again helps us to mark and avoid those places as well. We live in a current time of woke liberalism where it has invaded the churches. You have the PCUSA or the United Methodist churches that openly fly banners of pride. They affirm that which the law expressly condemns. They do not love nor respect the Word of God. They do not submit to the law of God. They do not rightly divide the Word of God. Oftentimes they say, come join this spiritual experience. They, they name the name of Christ. They say they have a gospel, but their gospel is come as you are and stay as you are. They claim to be affirming churches, whereas we desire to have gospel purity, that the gospel would change lives. They come and say, we affirm you as you are. In your lust, in your homosexuality, we affirm that. These churches are synagogues of Satan, and yet they say that they are Christian. But what about their attempt to love? They feed the poor. They help those in need. Saints, this love is not love. It is shallow and earthly. It is following a law that is trying to justify themselves with. This love is committing the most heinous of crimes, the murder of the soul. The Gospel that these churches teach is not the Gospel. This idea of being a Judaizer, this modern PCUSA Gospel, this United Methodist Gospel of affirmation and no conviction of sin does not lead to Christ. To teach any other Gospel is to lead to the utter destruction of one's soul. These false teachings, these false Gospels, these heretical churches are murdering the souls of millions of people. 
It's not love to give a meal to the needy and not give them the bread that is from heaven. A full belly or a warm body today will do nothing for those who perish in eternity. This is why Paul's charge to Timothy is so important then and is so important now. That we would desire for doctrinal purity. Gospel purity. What's the charge that Paul gave to Timothy? I think that's the key to understanding how we are to handle these people. How we are to deal with these people. Because it's easy to grab the flamethrower and just start blasting them. To grabbing them and, and, and beating them over the head of the Bible and saying, condemned, condemned, condemned. What's Paul's charge to Timothy? Look at verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. How do we use the law lawfully? Our aim is love. It is pouring forth from a heart that has been made from stone to flesh. For any one of us is to bring the law to bear against another, we must first examine ourselves. Is this coming from a place of love? I think oftentimes it is really easy for us to get fired up and angry. And we find ourselves angry and in sin, not angry and without sin. We see the injustice around us. We see the perversion of the Gospel, the perversion of all these different things. We get fired up and we approach these things without love. Remember what we saw back in Galatians when Paul confronts Peter. Paul is doing this out of love for Peter. He said earlier in that chapter that Peter had stood condemned. And so his rebuke to Peter was to bring him out of condemnation. By love, he approached Peter and he did so publicly to bring him out of that condemnation. And there's a second point. It was to maintain a purity of the Gospel. Brethren, our use of the law is for the sake of love and the purity of the Gospel. That you would love your neighbors so much that you would desire to see them come to true and saving faith. Paul says there in the end of verse 10, whatever is contrary to sound doctrine. Again, that is the goal and aim for us as a body, that we would have sound doctrine and a love that is willing to rebuke, a love that is willing to be uncomfortable and have uncomfortable moments with one another as we call out sin, as we exhort one another, as we love one another. Because our goal, our aim is from this love, from this changed heart, this pure conscience, to then go and see the Gospel purified in one another's lives. To go and see this work takes place. The goal and aim is that a body would be willing to love one another by rebuking one another. 
Love that is okay with being offended by the words and actions of others. It's another thing, saints. We've got to be okay with being offended. Jesus said they will hate you. He also said that they would know you by your love. A love that says I'm more concerned with your soul and the purity of the Gospel than my own comfort in this life. Love that is coming forth from a pure heart that has had the weight of the law brought down on it and has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit within it. If Christ this day has given you a new heart and placed His Spirit upon you and given you the gift of faith, you have within you that which Paul says to Timothy will help you fulfill the charge given. Back to the end of verse 10. Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. The law reveals the sinfulness of man and the gospel reveals the glory of God and salvation for such sinners. They go hand in hand. It is in the gospel that God's holiness, justice, and grace are on full display in all its glory. It is in the gospel that we see that Christ died for the ungodly, the righteous for the unrighteous. The great scandal where your sin is imputed or given to Christ, and in return, He has clothed you with His righteousness. The righteousness that could never come by works of the law, that could never come by our own doing. It is a righteousness foreign to anything from or within us apart from His glorious grace and imputation. And so, dear saints, this is the aim of our charge, that we would be sober-minded, that we would be ever-vigilant, and from a place of love, we would desire to see this body of Christ brought to maturity by sound doctrine and love. That we would seek to be ministers of the Gospel to those lost and dying sinners that are outside the walls of this church. There would be a body that is striving to see the removal of any and everything that would defile the purity of the Gospel within these walls. Within our very own hearts. In Christ we no longer stand condemned by the law. And so in that freedom we will march on. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is this removal of condemnation that Christ by His grace and mercy has given us freedom to bring purity of the Gospel in these walls. Freedom to bring purity within your own hearts and within your own families. The Gospel gives you the freedom by removing the condemnation to do the work in your house. To do the work in this house. To do the work in this body. Because of this, our hearts are clean. And we can be lovers of the law. No longer under its judgment. We can use the law lawfully because we who have been crushed by it know what it is meant for. It points us to Christ. Romans 7.12 So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So church, what then shall we do? Love the law. For it is good, it is holy, and it is perfect. Meditate upon it. Allow the law of God to show you the beauties of Christ. That His Word would cause you to see His glory and His holiness. Allow the law Word of God to draw you near to Christ, knowing that what the law did for you was reveal you, reveal to you your sin. 
And that led to an awakening in your heart, soul, and mind that Christ alone is the all-satisfying, soul-delivering Savior who by His perfect obedience has declared you clean and washed all of your sins away by His shed blood and by His resurrection has given you a hope of eternal life with Him. I will close with the words from the psalmist in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I proclaim all the judgments of your mouth. I rejoice in the way of your testimonies as much as in all of your riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways, and I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let us pray.